Hey everyone, we're back with another week of Find Your Film. This is the week covering ending the week of Friday, October 1st, 2021. We have several films to talk about this week. It's very, very cool. I'm excited to talk about all three films. The funny thing is a couple of these movies are very, very good. Very, Eric Holmes, is. might one of these actually be a top five or a top 10 for you? A little tease on that? Oh, yes. Possibly? Yes, most oh. definitely. Oh, most de- and and Bruce, do you think you might have one of out of these three movies? Is may one of these actually arrive in your top ten at the end of the year? Do they have? Does maybe maybe one of these possible possible? possible. I, I, I threw them into my top twenty five. I throw things in there, which is up to about thirty something, and then I'll start weeding it down at the end of the year. So yes, and the movie without giving any away, giving anything away. The movie that that both Eric Holmes and Bruce Porky are really raving about, and they they know where I'm going to go with this joke because I'm I'm a corny old man. They both really love this movie called American Night. American Night is one of the movies we'll be covering. No laughter here. Just no. Just silence. Dead silence. No. No. I don't even know what movie you're talking about. Oh. 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 Okay. Bruce Perky just brought out a gun. It's a six shooter. Uh, okay, this, is this an extra? Ew, look, oh, oh, he's pointing it at the camera. Is this is this an extra? Did you get that from Red Dead Redemption? Was that an extra g- gift that you got, or is that? <laughs> no. a, 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 it's some you, replica, some Colt oh. forty five replica. Okay, very heavy well, though. It's pure metal. Okay, there's a reason why Bruce is holding a gun. Okay, and it's not because he's found. It's because one of the other movies, along with American Night, that and then and then Eric Holmes is an air gun with me. Eric Holmes. He's called this week Titan White because Titan is one of the movies we're covering this week. The other movie, the aforementioned movie American Night, we're also covering. And then this movie, per Bruce Perky's just uh, whatever gun he was holding, Colt, whatever. I'm not very good with guns. Old Henry. We're, we're covering an, a Western called Old Henry. So these are the, the three big movies we're covering this week. You know, on every week, Bruce Bruce Perky actually gives us a, a skeleton and outline of sh- things we, sh- we need to discuss. I have here intro. I, I wanted to really be spontaneous and, and actually think of really interesting things to say for the intro to this latest Find Your Film episode. But I realized I looked up, I looked at my crypto numbers. They're down dramatically. So my brain is empty. It's it is draining out of my energy is draining out of my body. OK, so Eric Holmes, Bruce Perky, do you have anything interesting to say while I am drowning here in in Bitcoin madness? Anything about cinema your last week? Anything you want to plug before we dive into these movies? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> the, these, are, these are great thinkers we have here. <laughs> that's Eric Holmes. That's his vote. Well, I'm going to take Eric Holmes to task. By the way, about you know American Night, there's a moment I can't wait to talk to Eric Holmes about. And you, you know, Eric Holmes, you might actually have a friend in Anderson Cowan. He actually defended you in, in an interesting way. So we're going to get to that in a second. All Bruce right. Berkey, anything else? You, you anything in your in your noggin? In the last um, week, I'm working on a mysterious possible gift package that might be coming soon. I haven't quite decided if I can make it happen, but if I can, I will. I also spent at least an hour this week trying to narrow down the exact location where they filmed the cabin from Old Henry, and right. I've got it within about a ten mile radius. 10, 10, oh, that, very good. Within a ten, how the, how the heck are you doing that, Bruce Perky? He's maybe he might be obsessed with this movie called. Old Henry. Very excited about that. I was going to say something very interesting, but then that interesting thought just escaped me. There's one movie out of these three that I honestly, I wish we could talk about this movie and dive deep into it for about two hours. Bruce Porky, is it? Is there any chance one day 
me, you, and Eric will will do a two hour deep dive on American Night. <laughs> we could do a, we could do a watch along on that one. That would be that could, if I could go, I'm busy yeah. that day. You're I, busy that day. You're you need busy. to be really really drunk though. You have to help me out there. I'll, okay. I'll start now. Okay. Or we all have to get naked and start painting ourselves. I'm in. Okay. Also covered in this, Bruce will be talking about the Netflix series, which is you know it's it's really taken the world by storm. It's Squid Game. Also, Eric Holmes is he he loves being any, anything with cliches. Eric Holmes is all about he's he's going to c- cover this thing called Attack of the Hollywood Cliches. Maybe he'll be attacking himself some cliches in this episode. Last but not least, we're going to get into Bruce Perky's What's in the Box picks pick, which is from our buddy Jeff Basson. And it's called this is a movie called Tropical Malady. Wow, that sounds Interesting. Do you like what do you think of the tropical malady nom- moniker? Do you, is that an interesting title, or do you think they, they could have come up with a better name than tropical malady? I suspect it's a translation because I think this is a Thai movie, if I remember correctly. I wasn't, I didn't, I should have dug up exactly. I think it's Thai. So it's probably a translation of something, and it probably doesn't translate correctly to English, American English, you know, which is already a mess anyway. So yeah. It's uh, it was hard to find too. Oh no! How did you find it? Or did you did you just download it on on digital? What did you hunt it on on YouTube? What did, what did you do? What was the secret for this? Look it up. It's not rentable. I couldn't find uh, I couldn't find Thanks. anywhere to rent it or anywhere. Thank you, streaming. Jeff Basson. Very thank you for that. Then what did you do? What did you just uh, piece it together? There are a couple of Thai sites that looks like they put it onto YouTube, squished, and where you have to use the weird option where it automatically translates it for you. So <laughs> my ver- my version of watching this might be a little bit skewed. So I apologize if I didn't get the full impact of that movie. So that is amazing. Okay, you know what? Let's first get into our featured re- our featured reviews. Let's start off with this western. Bruce and Eric, just right off the top of your head, can you name since we talk about movies that we love? Right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all time favorite westerns? Just just Rorschach test. Just for me, I'm going to say right now, the first movie that comes out, out of my head, I'm, I'm going to say it. It's it's uh, it's Once Upon a Time in the West. That's what that's what that's what my pick. There's actually, you know what? I'm going to we, we rejig that. It's actually Duck You Sucker. I like Duck You Sucker a lot better. Eric and uh, Bruce. Uh, I mean, uh, we've mentioned it a couple of times, but the Great Silence is really good, and oh gosh, uh, the Great Cemetery Silence. Without Crosses. Like mm-hmm. I, I saw that the first time this year, and. That that hopped right up there. Um, as far as like uh, Western Westerns. Um, yeah, Eric Holmes was mentioning spaghetti Westerns. Very good spaghetti Westerns. He, we, yeah. he got us into spaghettis. And then he Eric and I, during one week, we, we talked about The Great Silence as well. And Eric also covered it in the previous episode, Cemetery Without Crosses. Sorry, yeah. Eric, go ahead. Yeah. But uh, as far as Western Westerns, I really like the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. That's, mm. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a slow burn, but that's just, it's just one of those movies like, it's one of my comfort movies. I can always put it in and just be like, ah. And then, of course, A Wild Bunch, because that movie's just badass. Very good choices. Also, also, I guess uh, Eric Holmes likes seeing Casey Affleck uh, about by the wheat fields or something like that. That's a very oh. interesting. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, Kirk Douglas and Posse. That was, oh, a, that was a really good one, too. Probably, yeah, you're a huge Western guy. Bruce, are you a Western guy like me and Eric? Are you, are you is that, or is this a Western? Is this a genre that you need to be more exposed to? I'm probably sat right in the middle. I would have said Once Upon a Time in the West too, probably for like revisionist artsy westerns. I really like Dead Man. Um, oh, recently, yeah. I really enjoyed Slow West. Yeah, Slow West good. is Slow really West good. Very good. Michael Fassbender is in that one. 
Very, very good movie. Yeah, those are all really good movies. I don't know. Does Trisha and Sierra Madre count as a Western? I would, say, I would say it has, it has its, lo- it has, has its moments. Yeah, it, so, it has cowboy hats and horses. I guess that's all. I- <laughs> well, I don't know. For for old Henry, I don't know if it's a revisionist Western. It's okay. The good thing about it is it's led by Tim Blake Nelson. You, we all know him from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He was also. We know him as in Westerns because he opened up the anthology, Coen Brothers anthology movie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Here, he's a titular character, a widowed farmer living out in the middle of nowhere. Why'd you settle here? Up at dawn, working the crops, rain or shine. You'll discover there's worse arrangements. Paul's a good man, Wyatt. I ain't him. Stop fretting about it. You know I saw what's in the back of that closet. I've done things I wish I could take back. I best go look for the rider. Is he alive? Barely. What do you think happened? Some kind of shootout? Stay here and keep an eye on him. Hey, I'm Who the hell are you? My pa found you. Well, go fetch him. Won't you put my gun in my satchel? I don't know what you're talking about. You better think long and hard on what you got yourself into. Funny, I was about to tell you the same thing. Riders, there gonna be three of them. I'm Sheriff Sam Ketchum. We've been scouting for a man on the run. He's dangerous. They ain't lawmen. They bank robbers. Your last name McCarty? That's right. First name? Henry. Why they didn't shoot you dead, I don't know. I got this crazy idea. There might be more to old Henry than meets the eye. Some shaky old farmer? He didn't hold that pistol like any farmer I've ever seen. Listen to me. What's going to happen will happen quick. You got a lot of fight for a farmer. You have no idea the hailstorm you're fixing to let loose. Consider me properly warned. Where'd you come from? Every place on earth but this. Who are you, Paul? Obviously, this middle of nowhere, Bruce Perky is actually tracking down exactly where this middle of nowhere is. It's this interesting house, and he's a farmer. He has a kid who maybe the kid might be about 16 or 17. The kid's ready to move out of move out of the farm and actually go out to the, the frontier towns and explore his own world. He's been sheltered by his widowed dad for so many years, and he's sick of it. But old Henry, one one of these days, he actually he's he's out of the horse and he sees. An in- injured, mysterious man. He's, he's bloodied, wounded, might be dying, and near him is a satchel of cash. So, what old Henry does, he decides to bring the stranger home along and he hides that satchel of cash and he tries to nurse this man to health. Eric Holmes, do you believe no good deed goes unpunished? Do you believe in that phrase or do you think it's always good to do good deeds? I think uh, many bad deeds go unpunished. <laughs> oh, many bad deeds. Very interesting. Well, this is a good deed that 
Well, I don't know. It would, sometimes being a good Samaritan, it could lead you to different outcomes. And this outcome, without giving too much away, is old Henry, by doing this good deed and helping nursing, he's trying to nurse this guy back to health. This mysterious strangers, I guess you mentioned posse. Maybe there's, there is a, a fellow, there is a criminal element led by Stephen Dorff who are out to hunt him down, grab the cash, and they'll do whatever it takes to get this man, either eliminate this, this wounded man, and then maybe kill anyone who he crosses paths with. That is the ultimate plot summary of Old Henry. Very lean and mean, very, nothing nothing fancy about it. But what's interesting is Eric Holmes was the first one out of the R3 to actually watch this. Eric Holmes, tell our listeners what your really strong reaction to Old Henry was and why did you feel this so strongly about this Western? Well, the, uh, this movie's a real meat and potatoes kind of thing. It, it's it's one of those type of movies that, uh, it's similar to The Gin, that, yes. that's the first one that comes to mind where it's just the thing and it focuses on being the best version of that thing, in this case, a, a Western. It just focuses on, on its basic story and you know focuses on the characters and sets up well first of all steve dorf is leading the posse that comes to uh old henry's ranch uh, house farm whatever you want to call it and they're looking for that that guy that uh old henry found landing on the ground with a bunch of money i he he don't he yeah <laughs> this is uh i don't know my brain just went dead <laughs> well this movie's 99 minutes your brain just went dead you all I know is- the, 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 the thing about this movie is it, it just it just did that thing where it was really focused on on the simple story it was trying to tell it wasn't trying to get too too clever with anything it wasn't and at the same time it wasn't dull it, it kept it kept ramping up the uh the suspense the longer this movie went on the more I was loving it and by the time it finished I'm like yeah this is gonna be in my top five of the year easy Top five of the year because you love Western so much or top five is just because like you're, you're a storytelling guy. This just, like you said, because well, of the execution of the story. Well, it, it was good to see a Western because we don't get many of them. And then the ones we do get, we, sometimes they're pretty good. Sometimes they're okay. We just, you know, Westerns kind of, you know, they're not dead, but they, you know, certainly don't make very many of them. And when they make them and they're as good as this one, I'm just like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> as soon as I, as soon as it was over, I'm like, well, I got to make sure Bruce and uh, Greg saw that so I can watch it again because we have so many uh, views that we can do. <laughs> and uh, I, I had to go back and watch it a second time, and it, it was just uh, it, it's kind of like one of those uh, like like I said about assassination. Jesse James is one of those. Not well, first of all, this isn't like assassination. Jesse James, yeah, and the and the uh, pacing, yeah, it's uh, not this, sprawling. Yeah, this is probably, uh, it's probably somewhere, I, I wasn't going to say it was closer to Young Guns, but Young Guns is more, like, this with This one gets action heavy towards the end. It's it's somewhere in between there, like in between Young, not quite as over the top as Young Guns and not quite as slow as Assassination of Jesse James. It's just right in that sweet spot right in the middle. Gives you just enough character and uh, just enough action. And it gave Stephen Dorff a role that I fucking love. And I've been waiting <laughs> for Stephen Dorff to be this good. I knew he could be. You know, it's just like, you know, so there are certain actors that like, they just don't get that role. And Stephen Dorff finally got that role. I'm so happy for him. And I was so glad to see him in this. I, and I then, of course, Sam Blake Nelson's yeah. awesome. 
Trace Atkins, everyone in this is awesome. Trace Atkins, like I, I'm not familiar with him as an actor. I, like I know he's a singer, but I'm not familiar with him as an actor. But he, he played the John Goodman role pretty well in this, I think. Yeah, he Trace Atkins plays the brother-in-law of Old Henry. And what's fin- funny about Trace Atkins, he's a very physically imposing figure in this movie. He though he is still physically imposing, and he's a tough guy. It's a different type of role for Trace Atkins. All I remember Trace Atkins for is for his work in The Lincoln Lawyer. And like you said, Eric, he is also a singer-musician as well. Now, Bruce, let's get to you. What did you think of Old Henry? I Do you feel that it was a... By the way, this movie is written and directed by Patsy Ponceroli, and very interesting filmmaker. I interviewed him earlier in the week. And yeah, was this a, did this movie really hit high for you? Yeah, it, this movie did hit very high for me. I We're talking a lot about the story and being very meat potatoes and lean and all these things. I think this is like a textbook. This could literally be a taught in classes on how to, how to create a narrative very effectively, mostly visually, not a lot of exposition. And some, there's a little bit, but I could see this being done in a totally opposite way and being just clunky. But instead, I mean, for, for example, we talked about the beginning of it. I think about it, how it just starts and it, you know, scans across the grave of the, you know, the dead mom and wife. You know, you see the father and the son for a little bit, and then you see just a horse appear, a riderless horse appear at the top of the hill right next to their house. And they walk up to the horse, there's blood on the saddle. Like that's how you tell so something has happened. There's blood on the saddle. Another little simple yeah. spots in here. I mean, I always think about, um, I don't know where I heard this. This is a, kind of an old chestnut, but, um, you know, there's only two stories, right? You've probably heard this before too. There's two stories. A stranger rides into town, a stranger rides out of town. Every other <laughs> thing is just embellishment. This literally has a stranger ride into town. That's the beginning of the story. So one other point early on, you talk about him finding the satchel, but little touches that show how awesome and how effectively this is written. Because he gets the guy, he puts the mud, you know, the mud, um, I forget they call that, where they kind of cover up the wound with some mud to kind of hold it in and rub right. the blood in. And, you know, he kind of gets him going on the horse and he's about to leave and he sees the satchel of money. And he doesn't just take it and go. He looks at it for a second and he says, nope. And he walks away from it. And then it's like, you just told us without having to tell us, this is the crucial pivotal moment in the story. The minute he goes back from that note, everything is is in play. You know, he can't get away from it. This is a great, great movie. I can't imagine Western or non-Western fans wouldn't enjoy this movie. It's just, it's just awesome storytelling. Is another reason why it's awesome storytelling, going back to what Eric was saying is the, I think that there is some style to it, but there is a lack of embellishment there. You, Eric mentioned Stephen Dorff's character. Stephen Dorff's character, he's a bad guy. He, there's no other, there's no Tolstoy type of uh, characterizations with him. He's bad. He's mean. He wants to kill people. He wants the money. Do you like the fact that these characters were pretty much lean? Even the old Henry's a little bit layered. Did you like the, the leanness of, of this narrative? Yeah, because I think that that fits. And and visually too, this isn't like a flashy, you know, super stylized looking movie either. It fits the character of the story and the characters themselves, right? These are, this is very straightforward. And when you cross the line of not being straightforward in this world, it's dangerous. And people cross that line in the story. <laughs> but that being said, old Henry does some interesting mind tricks, but they show us those in really smart ways too. And I'm not going to talk about it, but it'll be certain things like where he'll place something on a table near somebody on purpose 
And you're like, why is he doing that? That's so dumb. And it's like, no, he's doing it on purpose. Right. Whenever there is any kind of dialogue in Old Henry, there is a reason why it's there. Bruce was mentioning a, I don't know if it's a dinner sequence, it's a meal sequence between him and a stranger. And it's just a lesser filmmaker, a lesser film. They would have, this thing would have just been a horrible exposition dump, but there are a million things that are going on within this conversation. There's, there's memories between these two people. It's, it's like, what is it? Uh, the, the whole Hitchcock thing about the ticking time bomb, right? In the under, yeah. So yeah, no, there, this, it, like Eric was saying, it's a suspenser. There is an interesting twist that we don't, we're not obviously not, we're not going to give away, but the twist is not a selling point for old Henry. This is just a really great Western just know that it's going to take you in different directions. Very interesting. High marks for all of us. I love this film as well. Another, like Eric was saying, great role for Steven Dorff. Great role for Tim Blake Nelson. Also, I was telling you guys, I was a little bit wistful because I was thinking about all, the, all of the lead roles that Tim Blake Nelson should have had within the last 20 years. He's had a great character actor career. Were you surprised at how, got, how good he was as a leading man? regarding old Henry or was this one of these things like, Oh, it's a long time coming. I, I, I definitely wasn't surprised. I was happy to see it for sure. Especially when you see, see him in this. I mean, the, it, it's one, it's one of those parts is like, there's no one else that can play that part. There's very few parts like that, but this one's that one for him. And this, his eyeball acting is on point with his dead <laughs> eyes. He's <just> like, <laughs> his eyeball well, acting is very good. Too. Uh, I ain't seen no one come on down here, but Sure as I do, I let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just dawned on me when you asked that question. I never thought about it just now, but it, I think one of the reasons he works so perfectly for this because his character in this movie is in his own life. He is kind of a character actor or a side character in his own life, right? He isn't someone who shines out by having a, the actor be that kind of person when he twists it. And all of a sudden you see that, oh, he is more than we think he is. It actually, it works even better by having him as the actor in that role. Like if you had put, I don't know, Brad Pitt in this role or pick, pick another, you know, really main lead actor. Matt Damon. Yeah. This wouldn't work near as well because the whole point is he isn't that kind of character in the life he lives. He's also kind of got that sort of uh, like with this, just the way he carries himself. He's got like a lot more vulnerability but then you see him, you see him kind of come out of that sometimes. And you can see that I ain't going one to tell you one more time. I already told you once, with, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, when, when he, when he gets serious, you know, that he means business, but then he seems like a pushover a lot of the time, but I wrote he is this, not. I wrote this quote down, right? To that. At one point he says to somebody, he says, you got the wrong pig by the ear. <laughs> and I was like, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I like when Steven Dorff's character asks, asks old Henry, where are you from? And, and Henry just immediately says Every, everywhere, but here, meaning don't F with them. He is a stranger. You're, 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 he's a stranger in a strange land and you don't want to mess with old Henry. Again, high, top, possibly a top five for Eric Holmes. Bruce and I both really love it. Old Henry, the only bad thing, it's not going to be on video on demand. It's not going to be streaming. This is a theatrical release on Friday, October 1st. Hopefully it's playing. Yes, Eric. And I will be going to the theater to watch this. Oh, very cool. (laughs) This is worth watching in the theaters. Oh, let's not forget. Absolutely. We're talking about the philosophical stuff, the lean narrative and the performances. Yes, this has shootouts. So if you're in it for some gunplay. Some some really good ones too. Like, yeah. This shit gets brutal. Right, right. Very, very quickly. I haven't put it up on our Cinematics Patreon yet. Both Bruce and Eric actually got to listen to my full interview. 
the director, he talks about how the how they he changed the ending of the film. And if you see the ending of this movie, it's very memorable. But it was it would have been interesting to see what he would have done with that separate ending. And uh, yeah, so you can listen to that to that well, down down the line with for our Patreon from, members. Yeah, if I remember correctly, which I may very well not, but <laughs> I do seem to recall that uh, when you asked them about that, they were shooting. And pretty much everything that's at the end is almost everything they shot because yeah. they were just on a time crunch, which is even more impressive that, that this movie is as good as it is. I can't believe they were able to get, without giving too much away, all of those shots in, right? Right, Bruce? All of those shots in within, yeah. like you said, Eric, within several hours. Sun yeah. was going down. They were they were going to lose the light and they're going to lose that location. Amazing. Okay. Speaking of amazing. So that is Old Henry, Friday, October 1st. If it's playing in the theaters... Eric Holmes will see it now. Another movie, speaking of amazing, Titan also opens in theaters Friday, October 1st. Little first first world problems that I'm gonna complain. Eric, Eric and Bruce rarely ever complain, but I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna raise a hissy fit. I'm just gonna say this. All three of us received the screening link for only 24 hours. So as soon as it popped in our respective email, we had 24 hours to watch Titan and what a we were all under the gun. Were you guys able to see it within that 24 hours? Did you, were you going on hour 22 and you needed to see it or did you guys see, see it immediately? Well, when it, when I got home from work, I, I was kind of planning to see it anyway or watch something anyway. So that it was easy for me, but that's only because it just happened to the time, timing fell pretty perfect on my end. Yeah, Bruce, did what let them guess? You you watch it I, 10 seconds after you got the email? Is that what you did? Did you watch it while well, no, the email was, I was coming? I was at work. Oh so and gosh. I worked till nearly eleven o'clock at night. So I went home, I watched an hour of it, went to bed at midnight, got up at 5 30, finished it oh my <laughs> before we had to drive to Nashville. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not missing out on this movie because I've been hearing about this movie for a while. So Bruce, I'm gonna hand this to you because you actually, out of all, all three of us, you were the one who actually requested that we we actually flag titane down written and directed by julia julia i'm messing up her name deuce or no she's best known for her 2016 film raw i can't i look at the plot summary it's not giving any plot summary away so i want to throw this to you bruce what can we say about this movie plot wise oh my gosh this, yeah well what the plot summary says something really weird if i remember correctly yeah it just as uh, a metal highly resistant to heat and corrosion it's just defining titane with uh, is that what it says alloys, <laughs> alloys often used in medical prosthesis due to its pronounced by compatibility this is i think i'm going to just start off with this the movie starts with the the main character in titane I, I well yeah i would say the main it starts off with the main character and she is essentially a child in the beginning okay what is her name her name is alexia alexia, yeah. alexia and that's played by agatha roussel and i'm i'm messing up her name it's she is fantastic by the way she's fantastic in this movie her first film ever i can't believe she knocked this one on the part park but it's not it doesn't start with her it starts with a younger version of herself younger alexia she's in the back seat of the car with her father they're driving she is being a little bit obstinate and he's not being very loving to his daughter they have a car accident goes into a surgery what happens is alexia as a child she is a fixed in her head she is now living the rest of her life with a metal plate in her head there is a fusion between humanity and steel and as she grows up, then it, it cuts to her in present day, where we realize Alexia is a very. Oh, that was just sorry, but sorry about that text. That was a text from Anderson Cowan saying thank you to me. <laughs> We're going to mention Anderson Cowan in a second later in our review of American Night. I think Eric Holmes is going to really like that part. But anyways, Alexia is now 
it, it cuts to her in the present day where she's dancing in this sort of car exhibition exhibition thing and she's dancing provocatively with with other women and and it's really grabs your attention but that's one part of the story and it gets you think it's gonna gonna be one thing and it gets to be Alexia become gets to be very it, there's a lot of violence in the first half and in the second half we're introduced to another character named Vincent played by Vincent Linden Vincent his son has been missing for years and he is a lonely firefighter who more than anything understandably wants his son back he he cannot let go of the fact that his son may, might be permanent, permanently missing might have passed away years ago ultimately the lives of Vincent and Alexia they cross paths in the middle of the movie and what starts off is a very violent exercise in cinema and it it's stomach churning to the point it becomes something else when these two strangers their lives intersect and that's i think that's as far as i want to take it bruce and eric if you want to take it further you can you have the permission but i I want want, you know what else did i not embellish upon or talk about that should be Um, mentioned regarding plot synopsis i don't think i would bring anything else up in the plot synopsis i think that that really gives people a good idea especially the idea to me that this is kind of inverted from what you think the normal like pacing or path would be you'd expect the first half of a movie to be a little more you know slower and build up to a very ferocious climax this does the exact opposite. So I bet you some people will feel let down by that. This is not a, boy, this is an unusual, unusual movie. I, movie Bears podcast, William Linda saw this at Fantastic Fest the same day I think we were watching the screener. And uh, he had said he loved this movie, but he didn't know who to recommend it to. And all I could come up with is a lot of people, first of all, will not like this movie. We can probably all agree to that. This is not for your... And why you think because of the the excess, the violence, the yeah, and and also narratively, it's 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 quite unusual, and I don't, and it it, it could be very off putting to people. Both of our lead characters, I guess you could say, there's two lead characters. She's the main lead, but both of the lead characters have a lot of personality traits or activities that could be highly frowned upon, and people might just check out not be you know connected to them i would say that if i was going to suggest it to anybody it would be people who who liked or were interested in the french extremity series of films for sure i had mentioned to william lindis that if people who really enjoyed climax last year or the year before by noe would probably like this people who hated it would probably hate this whether you like it or hate it though i think that i think anyone would be able to recognize that the performance by agate uh, roussel is amazing, uh, visceral, uh, physically brutal. I think, and, and his performance. Um, what's the guy? Uh, Vincent, Vincent Linden. Lindon. He's he's amazing too. They're not so. going to get it, but they both they they both deserve Oscar nominations for their work in this movie. It's very intense. The lengths they go to this movie, Alexia. What's so funny is there's not a lot of exposition dumps with her. It's really all about. Eric was mentioning Tim Blake Nelson's eyes. It's all about her eyes and her body language in this movie as well, which is very raw and real. Very, this is a very interesting movie. Also, Garance Marillier, she was the lead in Raw. She has a short, a small role in this one as well. So there's a little bit of a continuation there. And yeah, Eric Holmes, Titan, your thoughts on the movie? This feels like, uh, you know, watching Raw, Raw seemed kind of like uh, the director working up to this like this like if you've seen raw this is the next natural progression and i I think this is definitely a lot better because this kind of plays like narratively it's confusing but i think you have to watch this not as a, a narrative story but like 
it's it's um you know a metaphor like her you know crashing the car uh it's you know it if and it might not be about this but this is what i got there's um sexual frustration um gender frustration with the main character and her trying to hide it and her surrogate father kind of looking the other way and like he kind of i think he he kind of knows what's up but he just kind of puts on airs and so it's like this it's this relationship dynamic with them but the stuff that's happening isn't the stuff that's important it's kind of the the stuff that happens in the narrative is kind of like a uh, a proxy for something else that's going on internally and I, I, I didn't really pick up on it at first i just thought it was some weird thing where some chick bangs a car <laughs> and that, that's kind of how it was sold but uh this this is a, a lot better than that and i think he goes a lot deeper and it's also like one of those movies like i'll be honest a lot of this movie went right over my head but the stuff i did pick up on you know we've talked about lose a flower of evil being so dense that you watch it and you start picking up this is another one of those type of movies that um, you can watch it and dismiss it as pretentious bullshit, and maybe you're right. Um, you could dismiss it as uh, just being violent for violence sake or weird for weird sake. Maybe you're right, but I got enough out of this and picked up enough clues as to what I think it might be going for that I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt and kind of go back and and kind of dissect it a little more and kind of really really grasp what it is that their filmmaker is trying to say and. That inning was just heartbreaking. Yep. It was right. it, as fucking weird as it was. It, I just, I just got in that moment emotionally. And I was like, oh, that's yeah, that's, that's a, so emo- so emotional power. Yeah, emotional powerhouse ending. And I think you were talking about dissecting Eric. I think that's one. I'm, Bruce, you do agree with that's probably one of the one of the great things about this movie. You can have so many different interpretations about what this movie about is about. It could be like well, like Eric was saying that maybe by proxy, it might be just a fever dream of the the original the character and maybe it could be an allegory for something else or you could look at everything literally you could do you could do that you could, but there are so many different reads you can have for titan i just thought this movie was very rich i don't know if i would recommend it to everyone just people who really want to push their own limits when it comes to cinema watching if you're really into an experience an overall experience whether you love it or not i think titan is highly recommended the only caveat i have for this is there is some very shocking, violent moments where in the beginning, when I there, there there's a moment where it's a it's a meet and greet moment. I'm gonna just say a meet and greet moment that I'm just watching. I think it's gonna go one way and I get scared and then I get terrified because it goes a completely different way and it just grossed me out. Oh my god. Bruce, you were gonna say. Oh, I was just gonna say uh, I totally agree with first of all, I totally agree with Eric. I think there's a ton of readings here. There definitely is a lot of stuff going on about gender fluidity, about family, about accepting people, about you know broken people finding their families. There's a lot of stuff about that in here. And I think it can hit pretty emotionally deep. But I also absolutely agree with you on the very guarded recommendation to people because, I mean, we, at least Eric and I, and you to some degree too, and we, we watch horror movies and, and see some pretty violent stuff and don't get that freaked out by it this is one of those movies that i i feel like first of all i love this director's watcher (laughs) for sure she you feel this movie i feel like this movie just it like you know how you see some movies and you you might you might emotionally or intellectually it kind of gets you this feels like you physically feel it like like you talked about the scene that got you 
to me, there's a scene in a bathroom where she's just trying to change her identity. I'm not going to say how she does that. Yeah. And you're just cringing at what's going to happen. I mean, you feel the intensity of what's about to happen when it happens. They, that and they telegraph lessen. that too. So it's, it's like, you know, yeah. it's coming. It's like, but oh. there's just, there's just scenes in here where she's like just scratching herself and it's just like, Oh my God. And I don't know how to describe it. And that was in the first movie too. In Raw, there were some some scenes like that too. She has something that's really, I don't know how to describe it, but she has something very special about the way that she puts stuff right in your face in a way that you can't avoid it. She also started both movies with a car crash, like someone causing a car crash, like on purpose. That's true. And and then yeah, the scratching thing, like there it's kind of like a but we're doing the Leo's Corax thing and uh, notice like all the little things that kind of seem to pop up in all his movies. And uh, I, she's just got the two that I've seen, but there's definitely some similarities. That and just between Raw and this one, I like how she's getting more esoteric and weird, like not afraid to make it more abstract. And I'm really, I'm really very curious to see where she goes with next. Is she going to go even more crazy with it? Or maybe is she just going to, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe she just comes back and does like, you know, just some regular indie drama. You, well, you, you never know. know. She she could probably do anything at this point. Just so long as it's not a comic book movie. I'm, I'm fine with whatever but, she does. I was going to say, you know how some directors come out and they slowly grow on you and you finally kind of see like, oh my God, this director is really amazing. And then some directors like hit you in the face right out of the gate and you're yeah. just like, holy shit. I mean, this is like, like Scorsese did that. When Scorsese came out with the first couple, three movies that he had, like the big ones that everyone caught really fast. I mean, everyone was like, what the fuck? This guy's just, you know, and people hated it and loved it at the same time. There's this kind of this very strong reaction to it. And I feel like she's, she's on that kind of a trajectory. I would like to be a fly on the wall and see what David Cronenberg would feel when, once he saw Titan. He must have been very, very proud and very amazed by how yes. awesome this movie is, right? Because yeah, the, the body horror is strong with this one. Yes. <laughs> strong as titanium, you might say. Oh, very. Eric Holmes, you should be quoted for, a, for a, you should do a movie quote. <laughs> That's a great quote. The body horror is strong. <laughs> yes, this is, a, this is a body horror film. We forgot to mention that. Body horror film for Titan hits theaters on Friday, October 1st. This is one of my top 10. Wondering about how how high is this for you, Bruce? Uh, I, it's still kind of I'm seeping in with it. It's it's on my list for sure. I okay. don't know where it'll end up, but it's on my list to consider. And Eric, this is, whether it's top ten or not, yeah. it's still a very good experience for you overall. Yeah, this this is a movie that's kind of kind of like I I already like it better now than I did when I first watched it. Like it's like the the further away I get from it, the more I consider the movie and the more I actually like it. So actually, that that 24 hour window. Mm-hmm probably helped because that was a couple yeah. of days ago so we had a couple of days to sit on it as opposed because like if i was reviewing this movie like right after i got done watching it i i'd, I'd be like i don't know what i just watched <laughs> did we also mention there's humor there is humor in this too it doesn't oh, sound yeah. like there's any humor but there's a scene where where she walks up and goes and i'm not going to say what's happening in the scene she goes like how many of you are there and I was just <laughs> like, Holy or, shit. or or just before that where she was uh sitting on a guy's face yeah (laughs) oh my god that was so good yeah yeah very interesting movie titan again let's do warning bruce who do we warn people about about seeing do not see this if you what this is very violent yeah violence a number one yeah okay but all of us love titan 
Friday, October 1st. Again, like Old Henry, both of them are in theaters. Last and least is a movie <laughs> called American Night. American Night. Okay, you know, I don't even know where to start about this. There's, look, it's a, it's a, look, I'm going to say this. It's a sprawling Quentin Tarantino-esque homage, like a true romance, okay? And it deals with the, the centerpiece of this, or maybe it's even a MacGuffin. It's this, the Andy Warhol painting of Marilyn Monroe is up for grabs. There are people who are trying to actually get a hold of it. And one of them is an art forger, art dealer, art, uh, what, this upscale art guy played by Jonathan Rhys Myers. There is another person who is a mobster who has a flair for actually creating art, sort of a Jackson Pollock thing. He'll throw paint against a can, an, a blank canvas, and then he'll machine gun it. Just, I, I guess, Jackson Pollock with bullets. So there's the mobster played by Emil Hirsch. There is the art deal, art forger played by Jonathan Rhys Myers. There's a whole bunch of other people who populate this movie just for the benefit of trying to abscond or take this Marilyn Monroe by Warhol. There's also Jeremy Piven. He plays the brother of the, the stepbrother of the art dealer. He is this failed stuntman who is obsessed with Bruce Lee. There's a couple bunch of times when Jer- where Jeremy Piven talks about be like water, like Bruce Lee. And there's also Paz Vega. Paz Vega plays a love interest of the art dealer, and she has a memorable, memorable, a couple of memorable sequences in this movie as well, which we're going to get to in a second. This movie's all over the place. Eric Holmes, let's start with you because you're the first one person to see American Night. Oh yeah, Jeremy Piven was hilarious in this. The part where he goes up with the uh, with the uh, RV to pick up Emilio Estevez, Cuba Gooding Jr., and Stephen Dorff. He's like, and watch the floors; they're marble. And then, of course, like you know, they do that. <laughs> they they drive to the boxing match, right? And and the uh, uh, Jeremy Piven's like he's driving the RV and he's a little drunk. And he accidentally hits a guy, and it's like, oh no, oh, no! And then they they bring him in, try to fix him, and then Dennis Leary and and Everlast and I uh, forget the other guy's name, and they they're like. They're like, hey, there's the guy, and they kill him. And then Emilio Estevez and Jeremy Piven, like Jeremy Piven's so good in this movie. I love him so much. This is Eric's um, way of saying, go, go check out Judgment Night as soon as yes, you can. Yes, Judgment. Oh, I thought this was American Night. <laughs> yeah, Judgment Night is great. I don't remember one thing about this movie, and I will let you too. <laughs> this movie reminded me like of uh, Lucky Number Eleven or uh, Boonraku or. Like those those movies, it's like, you know, there's two kind of people in this world. People that think they're clever and they're, <laughs> this, is a, this is not a good movie. There's probably people that like this, but the, yeah, this, uh, uh, this, uh, <laughs> this movie is just trying to be way too clever and it just kind of comes off as really lame and I don't hardly remember any of it. I can't so. believe, oh, look. And this hey, is Judgment Night is awesome though. Go check out Judgment. There is a sequence where where the art forger, art dealer, played by Jonathan Rhys Myers, he and Paz Vega, they are frolicking in his studio and they're dripping paint all over each other and they're on a canvas and they're they're making love and you see, you get to see Paz Vega's uh, breasts. You don't even remember that sequence. I you? will take your word for it that that was in the movie. I remember none of this movie. that is a, bruce and, did you do you uh, remember that uh, you remember saying is often said in one eye out the other that's exactly what this movie did <laughs> my goodness pa, the beautiful that's the, how checked out he was <laughs> bruce did you remember the paz vega nude scene and the the love scene and the the, the paint did, and the canvas sure okay. i remembered it I, I i but i was i was writing some notes down as i was watching it because i was just like okay this 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 is terrible 
I mentioned, <laughs> I, I mentioned the Eric, I mentioned you not remembering the, the beautiful, amazing Paz Vega, who I think is one of the bright spots of this movie. And I told Anderson how you, for, for some reason, forgot that scene. And Anderson actually defended you. He said, well, if it's a movie that I, I really didn't like, I'd probably forget that scene as well. And he, and he basically was saying in, in no, uh, no, no few words that probably that means the fact that this, that scene is really stapled in my, my conscious and brain. That means I might be a big perv. So <laughs> in fairness to you're forgetting that scene, maybe like Bruce said, you completely checked out on this movie. Totally understandable. Bruce, you were saying. I'll just read a couple of little notes I had and then I'll, I'll a couple other things. But I, first of all, I said, they said the title at least three times in this movie. I don't know if you kept count, Greg. What was the title of it? But... Judgment Night? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. They said a couple of times towards the, toward, uh, I know towards the end, it's prominently placed so American that's, Night. That's always such an awkward thing to do in a movie. And sometimes you can pull it off, but it's pretty self-conscious. Um, I wrote confoundingly bad. I think that was pretty much the first thing I wrote. Stupefying, uh, confusing. This should not be a confusing movie, but it is confusing. Long and convoluted. Worst bald cap in years. I don't know if you remember right. bald cap yes, is yes. terrible. Uh, digital blood. And then the Piven blindfold subplot is ridiculous. Now. <laughs> See, I don't remember Piven having a blindfold scene. I do remember him making a deal with a, with a Dennis Leary on a rooftop. And then Dennis Leary ends up like, you know, like oh, that's so funny. pushing him off. And then, of course, Kubi Gooding Jesus starts shooting yeah. at him and they all run away. I remember that part, but I don't remember that. Yeah, that's, that's right. But yeah, this, this, like you said before, this movie wants to be a Tarantino movie so badly. Yeah, my, so even Michael badly. Madsen is in this for about several seconds, yeah. right? Yeah, huh. and it does. So it does all the things. This is like a perfect, I guess this would be like, we talk about a textbook example of how to write a movie really well and leanly and all that. This is exactly a per- textbook example of how to try to make a movie like somebody else and not understand why the other person's work is effective, you know, because he doesn't have the dialogue. He doesn't have the flair for dialogue. If anything, the dialogue is horrible in this. And he does all of the, the, the backtracking in time and this Rashomoning kind of thing. And it just makes the whole thing even more confusing. More jumbled, yeah. Yeah, and, and this is just long and tedious and, and so self-conscious. It's just, it's just painful. This is you, have not- to, you, you have to agree, though, that the, uh, the train track scene where they go in there and uh, the guy's looking at Kuba Gooding Jr.'s jacket, and he's like, I was a college graduate. I was a college graduate. And then, you know, Dennis Larry and his buddy here, and they go and they shoot the on guy. But I mean, that, that part was pretty exciting. You guys got to agree with that. Another Judgment Night, another Judgment Night review from Eric Holmes, as he doesn't remember much about American Night. Look, there's a couple of th- good things about this movie. Okay. All things being said, even though this movie to be to me at the most gets one star out of five stars. The aforementioned Paz Vega, I was kind of half kidding about her nude sequence with Jonathan Rhys Myers. She plays a woman named Sarah. She's actually pretty good in this movie for whatever dialogue that is thrown her way, whatever maybe things that might be thrown her way as well. She actually is feels like she's in the moment. She's trying her best. She's good. There's another character. His name is Shaky, and he is very, very good in this movie. He's a courier in the film, and he's played by Fortunato Serlino, Fortunato Serlino, you might know him as the cold-blooded mob boss in Gamora, that TV series, TV series Gamora. He's very, very good in that. In this one, he's more of a an underling. And his moments where he's just awkward and trying to trying to actually navigate in this power-hungry world, yeah, it works. I, I liked him as shaky. And also, Eric was mentioning like Bunraku and all these things. 
the the actual idea to make a hyper real set like a stylized comic book e set i understand that on the production level production design level i i, I like that in the intent but other than that everything else about this movie it runs 2 hours and 3 minutes and it was a slog to get through there is there are so many unnecessary sequences also the two leads Emil Hirsch and Jonathan Rhys Meyers <laughs> look their characters are the least interesting thing about this movie they are so uninteresting in this movie and you spend 85 to 90% with them throughout this movie Eric Holmes yeah i i, I just I, I hate to correct you it wasn't Emil Hirsch it was Emil Estevez and his brother was played <laughs> by Stephen Dorff and that that Very part good. Where, and he was like I'm Fucking scared, Frank. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was a good brotherly moment, and, and I think you're a little too hard on this movie. <laughs> and the soundtrack is fantastic. They no more in Booyah Tribe, Therapy, and Fatal, you know, Biohazard, <laughs> Onyx. It, the, it's just by the way, yeah. That, that I, 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 th- I think you guys are honestly being a little too hard. The on soundtrack to Judgment Night is pretty sweet. Is very good, and you know what's pretty sweet is I I actually covered the press junket of Judgment Night some years ago, and I remember actually one of the tchotchkes that we got after the press junket was the aforementioned soundtrack to judgment night that is a great great soundtrack to judgment night judgment night very very good film directed by stephen hopkins this movie unfortunately is not directed by stephen hopkins it is written and directed by alessio delaval and my goodness yeah one star for me bruce do you even give this a one star or is it a bomb is it a bomb for you well, it's one of the worst movies of the year. I'm going to say it right now. Yeah, because this is not like we talk about movies that can be so bad. They're good and fun, but this is not fun. It's not fun no. to watch. No, I, I had fun moments watching Paz Vega. I had fun moments watching Shaky. But they, Shaky's very in, in this movie, very little. I wanted them to go back to them. When you have the two leads and they're just so misguided, you want, and we're trying to actually, the filmmaker's trying to curry kind of some kind of sympathy for these for these fallen heroes, these fallen anti-heroes and everything. No way, no way. American Night, not definitely. It comes out in theaters, VOD, digital on Friday, October 1st. None of us recommend this movie, even though the IMDb rating, 16 reviews, it's 8.1 out of 10 stars. I apologize for eviscerating this movie, but nothing in this movie except Paz Vega and the guy who played Shaky, uh, Fortunato, I believe, Serlino, I believe that's his name. Those are the ones who are Fortunato, Serlino. Yeah, those are the ones who actually escape from this relatively unscathed. I can't believe Michael Madsen was in this for two seconds. I can't believe he just showed, showed up. There's also a, a musical moment where where Anastasia sings a song and you're wondering, yeah, this, 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 this song is like two, a two minute. They could, have, they could have cut so many scenes in this movie. This could have been a 90, 90 minute movie. I don't know if it would have been better, but they didn't need it, that extra night. They did look, it went way overboard and it needed a lot of work on the script. Any final thoughts regarding American Night, Eric Holmes or Bruce? Nothing. I, I watched this movie at least once a year. One of my favorite Dennis Leary movies. And I, I love Jeremy Piven in it. I wish his character would have stayed alive longer. And the soundtrack is fantastic. I give this, I give Judgment Night a perfect six out of nine. Very, very perfect six out of nine. Yes, yes. Eric Holmes went the Charlie Kaufman route and went absurdist with his review of American Night, which he didn't remember. And he actually flipped it with Judgment Night. So those are three featured reviews for this week, the week of October 1st, 2021. Now we are on recommendations. Bruce recommends, and he's skirting the rules again. 
what makes Squid Game, aka the Hunger Games, aka a mishmash of so many different things? What make you? I'm sure you've actually seen the entire series. Uh, it's yeah. What what makes it so popular and so really huge right now? Uh, well, it's well. First of all, it's it's really good. It's really entertaining. Squid Game is out of South Korea. Like you said, it it is a mis- mix of some of those things for sure. I think what really makes this work is is its unique presentation and the way it progresses. I'll just give you the basic setup. I'm not going to go into too much because this is nine episodes. So I don't usually suggest series. I don't usually watch series. So series to catch me all the way through, it takes a little bit of something special. We'll have to see what Eric thinks. I know he started it. Basic concept is this. You start out with a, a really down on his luck dude. He is like the kind of the classic loser, right? You know, he's kind of a deadbeat dad. He lives with his mom. He's, you know, probably in his 30s, 40s. He's got huge gambling debts. And this is a world where he's in such debt that Chinatown style, he gets beat down. The guy sticks like a knife or something in his nose, punches punches him, bloodies him, makes him sign away his bodily rights with blood thumbprint saying, if you don't pay this off in a certain time, we can go ahead and just take one of your kidneys. Like that's, that's where this guy's at. And then as he's at that state, he meets up with a stranger. Does he even, by the way, does he invest in cryptocurrency? Yes, he, lots of it. <laughs> That's probably why he's broke to begin with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he he just meets this guy. This guy kind of does this little wager thing with him on the subway station. And he, uh, you know, our main guy wins a little bit of money. And the, the stranger gives him a card and says, hey, if you want to win more money, you know, call this number. Flash forward to he calls the number and gets picked up by a strange car, gets knocked out by, you know, gas in the car, wakes up with 465 other people in this giant room, and they're now part of the Squid Game. And Squid Game basically is there are six games, and whoever survives the six games, you find out very quickly that you may not survive the six games. They didn't know that when they got in there. Whoever survives the six games will get to divide up all the money that's been that's been dropped in this giant piggy bank based on all the people who have died before them. So each person's worth a certain amount of money. And this is like millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. So you would think, okay, that's kind of interesting, I guess. In, you know, every episode is going to be another game, but that's where this gets really interesting because there are three rules. If, now, help me, Eric. You've seen the beginning more recently than I did. Yeah, One, don't feed them after midnight. Don't yeah. get them wet. <laughs> Keep them away from water. Folks, Eric Eric Holmes has gone rogue on this episode, and I'm loving it for some reason. I, I have a perverse uh, need for this going rogue thing. I love it. He should do it more. That's very, very cool. Anyways. So the three rules I think are you, you have to, like, I think you have to participate in the games. I think that's how it is. You can't, like, or if everyone votes to, if a majority of votes to end the games, you can end the games. And I forget what the other one was. Um, um, if you fail, you get eliminated. So you get eliminated, yeah. which they find out very quickly means you eliminated. get killed. <laughs> so, um, uh, the, and, and the game, and the, I guess I would say the, the art direction of this is, is incredibly interesting and cool, uh, colorful and strange. And what makes this really good is as it goes, it doesn't progress in a way you expect. It goes into way more convoluted things than you think are going to happen. Like uh, it goes into the guards. It goes into people who might have infiltrated this situation. It, you start to meet all the different characters and the games don't play out in such a linear fashion. And on top of that, it's got some very strange homages it throws in there that tells you this is coming from a, a, a pretty 
odd perspective. And, you know, you see things like Chinatown, Dr. Fibes has an homage in here. Sallow has an homage in here. <laughs> Just those alone. Oh, tell I, you like, Whoa, I, I don't want to even think what the, I can't, I, I can't even think what the homage to Salo 120 days of Sodom is. I can't even yeah, think about that. The PlayStation game controller. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's true. So I, I think that if you like kind of these prestige bingeable <laughs> programs, give this, I would say, and I, I know, I think Eric said he was in the second episode. I would give it three episodes because the first, the second episode it drops down a little bit, but you're meeting all the characters you're going to know for the rest of the story. And then from then on, it just is off to the races again. Eric, did this, did this hook you right, right from the get, right from the get go? Bruce was saying it takes three episodes. Did it take, are you? Yeah, already? I'm, so I'm on the second episode and my thought is um, I'm liking it so far, but if by the, like, if it doesn't start doing something other than playing the game, people dying, and then playing another game like if it doesn't go beyond that i'll I'll probably bail but from what bruce is saying it doesn't sound like it's gonna do that uh probably go somewhere unexpected i don't know what that would be at the moment but i mean at at the moment uh i'm digging it so i I do have one question for you bruce does this end or is this does it end in a cliffhanger that they'll do another season it um it has it's one of those things where if it doesn't ever get another season it it ends enough that you know what's going on All this right. is not a this is not a lost situation but it does give you an opening that if they want to continue the story in a certain way which i'm not going to say what it is it could do that but it definitely ends and what is really interesting about this is as far as what you're talking about eric I, i'll see what you think when you get there i think it does altered enough but it does of course keep giving you the games because that's the main you know meat and yeah. potatoes of that movie but what's great is because anything like this you're going to have your main characters you're gonna like well they're not going to die because you've got a hundred other characters that can die in these games and for a while that's the case somewhat but there's points where as it goes and escalates you know some of the characters you know are going to die and that's where you're just like oh my god now wait how's this going to happen you know so it definitely and it does do more than just hunger games it gets into some interesting philosophical stuff can we we say battle royale instead yeah it's got (laughs) battle royale too for sure no i I just mean instead of it's copying hunger games could we just say it's copying battle royale we can't (laughs) we can't say that okay so that is squid game currently it's available on netflix i'm sure if you're listening to this i'm sure 9.5 out of 10 of you have actually started watching squid game which is probably the one of the most popular shows right now yes bruce Last thing, they give them this little card that has a phone number on the back, which is a weird phone number for us, right? It wouldn't work in America, but apparently mm-hmm. that was a real phone number in South Korea. And I looked it up and people were calling that number by the thousands and thousands to join the Squid Game. And some poor lady who ran her own business was inundated by thousands of calls from that, that number. That's so funny that I, I smell a lawsuit, a lawsuit <laughs> with the Squid Game. Obviously, they're making enough money from this to actually cover the expenses. Oh. According to Squid Games, all you need to do is sign a release and you can, I mean, if you can kill someone, if they sign it, I'm sure you could call someone as well. (laughs) Okay, so that's Squid Game on Netflix. That is Bruce's weekly recommendation. Now we're going to get to Eric Holmes's weekly recommendation. Eric, what do you have for us? Yes, I am pulling the name up because I keep forgetting it. And it is a Netflix uh, Netflix, uh, documentary, I guess you would call it. It's called Attack of the Hollywood Clichés. It's uh, hosted by Rob Lowe, 
who is uh, quite charming, quite funny. Nice guy. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I've interviewed him. Nice guy. Very good. Yeah. Very good guy. I, I love Rob Lowe. Come on, Rob Tommy Lowe and, and Bad Influence. Come on. And Tommy Boy. Yeah. yeah Tommy he's, Boy. He, he's awesome. And in this, they kind of go through a bunch of Hollywood cliches. And that's pretty much it. It doesn't go much deeper than that. It's, uh, you know, that the cop that plays by his own rules. And then they get a bunch of talking heads to go, yep, there are movies where the cops play by their own rules. All right. Now, uh, the, you know, guy that uh, he's got his last day on the job and you know he's going to die. And then they talk to other talking heads are like, yep, there are movies where people say that uh, there's uh, their last day on the job and then they're going to die. Oh, and then we got the uh, the uh, magical, what uh, I don't know if I can say that word, magical mm-hmm. black guy. There's a word for it. I'm not going to say it out loud because I don't want to get in trouble for, for this. And then they talk to the, they talk to other people there in the room and go, yep, there are movies where this happens. It's kind of fun. I wish they would have, I wish they would have got a little deeper into it. Like talk about the cliches. Yes. But then. Here, here's where the cliche started and here's where it's at here's why it's annoying and maybe here's some ways that that you can turn the cliches around and make them fun here's uh examples of movies where they did turn the cliches on their head they do a little bit of that but not quite enough this just seemed like a this just seemed kind of like low hang, hanging fruit which isn't another cliche by the way um <laughs> But it was, it's low hanging fruit, but it was entertaining for you to watch. That's why you yeah, recommended it. Yeah, it, it was, uh, I mean, it's about an hour long and it, it was just kind of like a, well, like, so there was that, uh, the movie about movie posters, right? Uh, mm-hmm. the John Campia documentary I talked about, I can't remember the name, but the, so that was kind of base level, but they went a little deeper into stuff that I didn't realize this is basically just a list of cliches and then people saying, yep, those cliches exist are on to the next cliche. You are not selling this movie. This uh, special special also features Andrew Garfield, Richard E. Grant, who I recently yeah. interviewed, Andy McDowell, Robert Englund, and Florence yeah. Pugh. Did, did you like having these talking heads in the movie or do you wish there were more movie cinema geeks like us? I, well, in the, in well the- like for instance, they have John August in there, which is how I heard of this because I listened to the Script Notes podcast. Right. And John, John August is a really good writer to begin with. And he said that he was interviewed for the for this, which is the whole reason I watched it to begin with. And you figure that like a movie or a documentary about movie cliches and you're talking to, you know, some screenwriters well, first of all, hearing Hollywood people complain about movie cliches is kind of stupid because they're the ones making them. <laughs> that, that'd be like if I complained about what I say on this podcast. I'm the one saying it. I have, <laughs> I have no moral authority to you know talk shit on it. I can agree when you talk shit on it, but, but it, it, it's just kind of a missed opportunity. And now that I'm thinking of it, I don't even know why it brought it up. It, it was just kind of, it was a way to kill an hour. And I killed her, and it was better than American Night. American Night is that the, that is the only folks. This is the only recommend. This is Eric's recommendation. Go see Attack of the Hollywood Cliches because Rob Lowe is cool, which I agree with, and it's better than American Night. Which I would yeah. say, I would say, because there, there's some people that like to get in into that mode where uh, you get in kind of hater mode. Like, yeah, fuck that, or fuck that movie, or screw that, or whatever. I think if you get into kind of hater mode, you, you'd probably, uh, you'd probably something out of uh, Attack of the uh, Hollywood Cliches. Um, okay. I don't usually go down that road. 
I'd much rather review Judgment Night. It was actually in a weird way, Judgment Night special with yeah. your Stephen Dorff appreciation <laughs> podcast, but, uh, which I, I do appreciate yeah. Stephen Dorff. Yeah, if you, if you want to get into that uh, schadenfreude kind of, uh, you know, hater mode, then I, I would, you know, it's an hour, check it out. Otherwise, if you think it's going to go much deeper than that, it doesn't. Okay. Attack of the Hollywood cliches. I can't believe Eric actually used a big word that schadenfreude, fraud, schadenfreude. Bruce, how do you pronounce it? Shot and fried? Shot and fried? Shot and fried? Shot and fried. Shot and fried. Shot and fried. Oh, shot Eat and fried. It. Shot and fried. Very good use of that word, Eric Holmes. <laughs> I now have to look it up on my on my, on Google. I'll, I'll look up the d- definition. Now, speaking of... Uh, shot and fried. Uh, uh, shot and fried. <laughs> Very good with six-shooter. All right. Y'all better get that shot and fried off my property. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to shot and fry you. Shot and fry you. Very cool. And, uh, you know, you're, you're actually going to make me want to see Judgment Night sooner than later. <laughs> oh, also, Eric, I, I'm going to take it a task. I'm going to take it. It's been at least a couple of months since you have abandoned. You have you know, when Daniel Day-Lewis says, you know, I, what is it? I've abandoned my boy. I think you've abandoned Kirk Douglas. You haven't watched a Kirk Douglas movie in over a couple of months. What, what, what <laughs> happened? Where's the love, Eric Holmes? Yeah. What, what, yes. Why? Why? What happened? Oh, there was, uh, there was, yeah, there, there's something, there's something coming. Okay. <laughs> I, I was going to watch it this week, but I didn't have time, but. Well, I, I'm going to throw the blame on me because I made Eric Holmes watch American Night. He, do you ever think about, do you ever think of, of the time you wasted watching American Night and forgetting about that movie, that two hour and three minute space could have been filled up by an awesome Kirk Douglas movie? No, because my fingernails were getting really long and uh, I got my uh, fingernail clippers right here. So, you know, it, it wasn't a complete loss. I, I did get something <laughs> I did get something done during that time. Did he even watch it? I wonder if he even watched it. He watched it. it. I remember he watched it. He told me he watched it on the I, first night. He jumped on it the first the movie night. movie was playing in front of me. <laughs> the movie was playing. Very good answer. Very good answer, Eric Holmes. Look, don't ever accuse Eric Holmes of anything, Bruce Berkey. Look, he loves he loves courtroom I, dramas. He's he's gonna he's gonna slither was, out of it. I was very much on the edge of my seat throughout Judgment Night, and I've seen that movie <laughs> like over a hundred times. Well, I will say this. Okay, enough of American Night. Let's get to some some time. You know, did you guys know I'm part Thai? I'm part Thai, I'm part Filipino. I'm I'm surprised I haven't seen no, trop- no. Tropical <laughs> Malady. I'm surprised. I, I love Thai. By the way, Thai food's best. Okay, before That's we get good. to that, this is our this is our musical segue. Eric, who does our musical segue? Uh, that would uh, be Pete Abeda from Middle Class Film Class. Really? very Oh, very cool. Very, very good. I, I call him the chairman of the board. Uh, last week, I'm going to call him the mix master. What does he do every week for us? Yo. Oh, Pete? Yeah. What does he do? He, he drops that beat. Who's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? You lie. No. What's in the fucking box? All right. Thank you again, Peter Beta from Middle Class Film Class, wonderful podcast. Thank you for your contribution, your weekly contribution to our music. Look, Bruce, go, go, go. I'm going to say this. Both Bruce and Eric go above and beyond the call of duty. They ultimately watch more movies than I do every week. Bruce, for some reason, has tethered himself to what's in the box, meaning he has to, no matter, come rain or come shine. I love that song. Come rain or come shine. He has to watch an extra movie more than me or Eric. A lot of times, maybe nine out of 10 times, Eric will join. This one, though, I don't know if Eric joined because Tropical Malady, you had to basically Jimmy Hoffa it and find it in, yeah. <laughs> in certain circles. Was it worth, tell us about Tropical Malady, and I want to know if it, was it worth all that searching with respect to Jeff Basson? 
So yeah, I think Jeff Asson did it because he just wanted me to pronounce the uh, director's name. So here we go. Here we go. <laughs> it's a pitchat pong wira sithical. I'm sure that's exactly right. Tropical Malady. This is one of those movies. As I was watching it, I was thinking. I would bet you 99% that I would get a ton more out of this if I had more connection to the culture because half of this movie is looks like to be based on a, on a folktale, which I know nothing of, So, but I'll give you the basic concept. So this is actually strangely almost a tropical malady. It's, it's almost a, um, an anthology, a two-part anthology. So there's essentially two films in one here. The first story, the first half, is just this kind of really gentle, quiet story about the these two men. Uh, one's an ex-military guy kind of back coming back. He's kind of back home and he doesn't have a job or anything. So he's just kind of, he has a lot of time. And uh, this friend that he's kind of known from before and they slowly uh, build up a romance. I was kind of surprised by that because at first it just seemed like this kind of, it, it actually seemed like it'd be two buddies and they were going to find women or he's going to get into trouble or something was going to happen because there's a lot of the shots of them in the city and him looking for a job. And then all of a sudden this kind of this romance builds between them. I don't know how taboo that is. I don't know if 2004 or even now, if that is shown much in, in Thai film, but it seemed, it seemed pretty interesting. The the biggest problem I have overall with this movie and this part is it too is that it's definitely very deliberately paced. I to me I would tighten it up. I mean to my sensibilities, it's is there a lot of extended shots of the countryside and the city and so on and so forth when I wanted to just get with the the narrative. So that kind of was a little bit of a negative for me. Now part two is a little more interesting for me in that part two is all about this legend of a of almost like a werewolf legend but it's a, a person who had been either possessed i couldn't quite understand but had can turn into a tiger basically and it's the single soldier and he's kind of out in the woods really evocative too it's like it's almost like um like the footage you get in oh i don't know like uh, apocalypse now or something where they're really down in the forest this the rainforest and it's just you can just hear and feel you know what the the atmosphere is there it's just thick and humid and uh he's hunting trying to hunt down this this creature and it gets more and more kind of fantastical as it goes and you don't know if he's hallucinating or what's happening but he's you know the monkey at one point is like looking at him and he's hearing what the monkey is telling him and so it very much almost is like a fairy tale folk tale once again it probably would have been much richer to me if i if i knew it a little bit better so I would say this is a, a light recommend for me. It doesn't quite connect to me, but I'm glad I saw it. It's there are some new. people, I was reading some of these IMDb reviews and some of them, some of them are really absolutely boring and self-indulgent. There's other people who said, this is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. Can you, for those people who say this is the best film I've ever seen in my life, this movie will really appeal to people who, what Bruce, I mean, can you see why the people? Yeah, I, mean, I think Jeff if, loved if, it. I mean, I don't know. Yes, I think if you really like almost meditative, almost like we talked about with Gunda, right? So the way you have to almost be in that mood for a really meditative, like just an immersion in a world, but not necessarily a narratively rich movie. So in other words, like I talked about with the first story with the two men, it isn't like there's a strong story. It's a lot of them just in their world. And it's like the world they live in very. And if you love seeing that kind of stuff, almost cinema verite, almost, almost pseudo documentary style, then people who really appreciate that, like kind of falling into a world they don't know would probably love this. 
Okay, so that is Tropical Malady. It is not streaming anywhere. No DVD or Blu-ray. You have to go through this, <laughs> this Thai black market that Bruce <laughs> underwent with squished up translations. And I don't know, <laughs> Jeff Bassin, what a pick from you. One of these days, maybe you and I, Eric, will go, will go see Tropical Malady when, when it's out on streaming. We'll find it. I'm, I'm down. I'm yeah. Down. Yeah. I, I love that about this, though, because whether it connects with you totally or not, like I would never, ever have encountered this movie probably in my whole life. So that's what I love about this kind of thing. And every so often you get one of those and it becomes your new favorite movie, you know? So you I mean, from, from what you're describing, though, it, it, it sounds like a, it sounds kind of like a, almost a lost movie anyway. Yeah. Just, just yeah. that you had to, had to dig so, dig so far and you didn't even find the movie. You found like the, I mean, you found the movie, <laughs> but you found like the fucking most bullshit version of the, the movie yeah. that you could. From what and, I could see, it looks like a Thai person who loved it, found a way to get it out there so other people could see it. Like, and all the comments are stuff like that. Oh, finally I can watch this movie, that kind of stuff, you know? So, uh, funny. I mean, think about how much international cinema is just lost to us. Like we just don't even know. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think at that point, you just, if you have a decent version of it, you just put it out there, put it on the pirate sites, and say that that's the only way you can get it. So fuck it. I mean, you know, clearly no one gives a shit at the you know the at least the people that own it don't seem to give a shit. So yeah. Random question: Have both of you tried Thai food? Have you are you fans of Thai food ever? Oh, yes, okay. I, I, I love anything with rice noodles and beef. Okay, very like very the, good. The curries, I like the curries a lot. Red or red or yellow. Curtis, yeah. really good. do they have do they have some good thai restaurants around your parts bruce terrible there's nothing not here when i lived in when i lived in seattle of course yes yes good good thai good korean good good fish all, good all everything right yeah. good good everything no, no. this is not no. a culinary staple in your in your neck of the woods no 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 <laughs> unfortunately i'm really I'm sad with, about that which sorry, sorry to depress you bruce sorry to depress you eric how about in your neck of the woods are there any some some good thai restaurants or, or you know yeah there's a place called thai lily it's actually really close to entertainment actually and because i don't eat a lot of thai food so i don't mm. i wouldn't know what to compare it to but i like it very cool everything i try there is really good yeah, I haven't been to a Thai restaurant since COVID. So I, I do miss eating Thai food. It's a big, big Ooh, part of my culture. The iced oh, coffees, oh, they have iced coffees oh. that are really good. Oh my God, <laughs> so they're so good. I'll go to, I'll go to so Thai good. Lily, order you something, and then just send it through the mail. Yeah, very good. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine by the time it gets to you. Yeah, I'll have that with some uh, some uh, Asian beer, some Singha beer as well. So Ooh, yeah. down the, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, we, live, we love You're all that. You're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> you want you to get a shoe shilly sarsaparilla to go with that? <laughs> okay, so that is that is our, our, our uh, that is it. That is it for this episode. We, we covered a lot. Some, oh, yeah, I always forget. <laughs> I always I just forget. shake the box. What's in what's in the box? We we need to save the yo Pete drop that beat for when he actually pulls it out of the box. That way you can't <laughs> forget it. Yeah. <laughs> what's in the blipping box, Bruce? Hey, Bruce. Hey, Bruce. What's in that? What what's in that box, Bruce? What, you got a you got a pig in there. Well, this is a new edition. This is one I okay, just added good. from the last week um, by uh, Julian J. Howard. Suggested. The Last Supper from 1995, directed Ooh. by Stacy Title. Stacy Title, interesting. I, I, I believe that movie might star. If I recall, maybe Cameron Diaz. I, I, yes, I could, Cameron oh, Diaz really? is in it. I did what, see it what? way back then, but I only remember the basic concept of it, which I won't say if Eric has, doesn't know when he wants to see it. The Last but, Supper. Well, mm-hmm. what what year did he say it came out? 95. 95. And Are yes, you by, sure that won't be the last one. 
pretty sure that <laughs> won't be the last supper. Look, but again, the director is Stacy Title. Stacy, what's Stacy? What is it? Who's the dire- director for the I last thought supper? It was- Stacy title, but I might have written it down wrong. It's okay, no, 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 no. You're probably right, but yeah, it's a very, inter- very interesting selection from Julian J. Howard. Julian, thank you so much for supporting us here on the Find Your Film podcast, as well as the Cinematics podcast. I, I was gonna really tie in because Anderson and I had. Oh, Anderson and I. By the way, Eric Holmes, you, you mentioned basically a lot of your energy for this movie was a old Henry Titan, but basically it's judgment night go listen to our latest cinematics episode which i'm sure as we speak anderson is uploading because he has a very interesting steven dorf story yeah oh sweet and it has to do with a hot tub you'd like that hot tub in hawaii a little teaser with steven dorf okay before we go <laughs> underrated steven dorf movies let's go now eric I'll, don't say judgment night. You can't uh, say it. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, first, I'm I, first. I haven't seen it in a long time, but SW would, SF, might be one. Yes, um, yes, SFW. Uh, it's really gonna blade, and that that movie wasn't great. But oh, <laughs> fucking uh, the Public Enemies, the Michael yeah, Mann movie. Public Enemies. Yeah, yeah it was good. In that yeah, was there good. You go. Was... We'll go with that one. Okay, my my choices are City of Industry, a movie directed by John Urban. It's a noir film with. I believe uh, Timothy Hutton, very, very good movie. Not many people have seen that. It's Harvey Keitel. Basically, Eric Holmes, you haven't seen City of Industry. Check it down. Here's my pitch to you. Harvey Keitel versus Steven Dorff, mano y mano. Yeah. I think I sold. Uh, did you see, did you see C- City of Industry? Have you seen that? No, uh, Harvey Keitel's got a big wanger. So <laughs> I wonder if he's going to use that to beat Steven Dorff. Beat Steven Dorff literally with the, the wanger. How about you, Bruce? Steven Dorff. Uh, I'm going to say preemptively old Henry. I have a feeling it's going to be under scene and it should not be. Yeah. Yeah, I that's, loved him. That's actually that you're. I hate that you're right about that, or that you'll probably be right about that. Lastly, Stephen Dorff. If, if you know, other than the vape stuff that he used to do, those blue cigarettes he used to do in the commercials. Another, another thing I'd, I'd recommend is obviously his work in the season, season three of True Detective. And finally, there's this movie that hardly anyone has seen, where he played Stu Sutcliffe oh, in a movie yeah. called Backbeat. Yes, yes, that is a good one. Yeah, Backbeat's he, good. He's very, he's very good. Very good music. Almost as good music as Judgment Night. Actually, my, my big recommendation this week, along with our featured movies, if you can, if Spotify or Apple Music, you know, forget that. Go get the hard physical copies of the Judgment Night and the Backbeat CD soundtracks if you can get it, if you still love physical media. Finally, Eric Holmes, any thoughts before we leave? I think I, I think I just cut this, folks. Eric just went out with a musical interlude, a la Leo's Carax, and I, I do have to. Um, unfortunately, I am the censor police. We are finally closing. No, up. That, no, that that wasn't a song. Those were just words that I said out loud. <laughs> you just said out loud, okay? As he does with a devilish smile. Okay, finally, Bruce, lead us out. Shot and fried. Shot and fried. Okay, guys, we will see you next week on this here Find Your Film podcast. <laughs>